What is up, everyone? Hello. Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals podcast. I have a very special episode today. I had the pleasure of interviewing not one, but two amazing people that have really helped me flesh out Christian nationalism, its roots, and why it matters. So I have Rabbi Avi on the podcast, along with Dr. Stephen Backhouse. Now, Dr. Stephen Backhouse is the founder and director of Tent Theology, a venture that designs and delivers theology programs for local churches, and he is very well-educated on Christian nationalism. In fact, Dr. Backhouse says that essentially, essentially, evangelicalism and Christian nationalism have always been a thing. They have never been separated, which was really interesting. And then um, Rabbi Avi is um, a Canadian rabbi in Montreal. And in 2015, he founded the Jewish Learning Lab for Adult Jewish Education. And from July 2017 to 2018, served as interim rabbi of the Spanish and Portuguese Synagogue of Montreal. Now, Rabbi um, Avi is an amazing educated person that helped so much during this conversation, helped me understand the idea of uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish Zionism and where it comes from and how Christians have kind of taken that idea and made it a thing uh, for America. So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of like, there's just so much to talk about in this interview. I don't want to give too much away, but this is a very helpful, informative interview that was full of me really just learning different ways of, of, of understanding what we talk about so often, you know, this really um, unique, um, well, not unique, I should say widespread idea of Christian nationalism in the U.S. So I hope you all enjoy this episode. That being said, of course, friends, if you can give us a rating and a subscribe on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts, that'd be such a huge help. It really helps us in the search engine. It helps us get uh, recommended. So if you can do that, it'd be in a, just, it would help us out so much. So I, I would appreciate that. Also want to say thank you to everyone who continues to share the podcast. We continue to grow, which is just amazing. We are doing our best to hear your feedback, to provide guests and content that hopefully is helping you understand the Christian tradition and all the nuances um, around it. So thank you to everyone who is sharing the episodes. It means so much. Last thing I'll say is good news. We are halfway to our funding goal uh, for monthly funding to, to create our docu-series community conversations and to fund all the work that we do. So if you're interested in giving, the link is in our show notes or in the YouTube um, you know, description section. If you can click, click on that link, and donate, it would help us out so much. It goes so far. It helps keep our overhead going, helps keep the lights on, helps keeps us, helps to keep us doing the work that we do at no cost to anyone. So thank you everyone who's donated. And again, if you want to donate, check on the um description box in YouTube or the uh, show notes in Apple or Spotify, and you can click on that link. All right. Without further ado, here is my interview. I hope you enjoy it. Well, um, this is a new one for me. I don't think I've ever had two guests on one interview, so I'm looking forward to this. So I have Dr. Stephen Backhouse, and I have Rabbi um, Avi with us. I am excited to have both of you. Thank you very much for making time, carving out. You know, we're in all different time zones. I think, Stephen, you're in the UK. Avi, you're in Canada, and I'm in New Jersey. So we're just making it work. <laughs> Oh, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for having us. Of course. Why don't we start here? You know, uh, Stephen, let's start with you. Why don't you give us kind of your background, uh, your connection to Avi, and, uh, and, and we'll go from there. Well, very, very briefly, because uh, uh, I'll let Avi explain the, the hyphen podcast that we're on together, but I'm a political theologian, and um, I grew up in Canada, Western evangelical Bible Belt. You'd be surprised, Tim. Canadians have a Bible Belt as well. Wow. And I grew, I grew up kind of born again. I grew up evangelical, very right-wing type people who, who really conflated their patriotism with their Christianity. Culture war, Christianity, all about you know fighting the enemy, fighting the liberals, fighting the socialists, whatever. You, I'm sure you're familiar. And um, I, so when I was 19, I moved to England just for an adventure which I don't know if you can tell my accent, my accent, when you, when Avi speaks, you'll hear a real Canadian. I'm not a real Canadian. I'm, I'm a traitor to the, yeah. I'm not very patriotic. And I left Canada when I was 19 and I moved to England and I lived in England for a while. And it was when I was in England that I discovered um, Soren Kierkegaard, the philosopher, the Danish philosopher, 
and I was working in a bookshop and I discovered his book, Fear and Trembling. And I read it uh, and it changed my world really because it, he was describing a 19th century Danish version of Christendom. And Kierkegaard's big argument is, is that you can't, that, that, it, that being a follower of, G, of the way of Jesus will actually put you at odds with your society. It won't make you a better citizen. It will make you a worse citizen. And he calls the sort of Christianized nationalism Christendom. The idea that you're just born a Christian and that it's part of your heritage that you are tasked with defending and it was part of being a good civilized citizen. And it, of course, he was speaking very directly to the kind of world I, I grew up in. Mm. And, um, and yet he'd never been to North America. He didn't know anything about any of my background. And yet he was speaking. He was this guy who died in 1855 who was speaking directly to this 19-year-old. And that really started the whole process for me. I, I ended up going to university to study more philosophy and theology so I could study more Kierkegaard. I, here in England, I went to university mm. in England. Um, long story short, I got my doctorate in nationalism, Christian nationalism. I used Kierkegaard to critique Christian nationalism. And that was a few years ago, 10 years ago now. And at the time, people said, oh, that's Christian nationalism. That's irrelevant. That's a dead <laughs> subject. And now look at us, right? Yeah. So yeah, and so now I'm. Uh, I, I was working for various universities. Uh, I've taught. At, I also did my masters at McGill in Montreal, uh, which is where Avi and I have mutual friends. And then, um, but I ended up back in the in the UK, and I was teaching for various colleges and universities here. And then I went freelance about five years ago. I started something called Tent Theology, which was my attempt to be like a theological consultant and different groups, churches, businesses, networks will hire me to be like their theological consultant. And it's really fun, but I, I'm still very much into the Christian nationalism critique world. Mm. And um, last year I started a podcast, which is also called Tent Theology, which is essentially pretty much all about renewing the social and political imagination in a world amongst Christians gripped by nationalism. Mm. And you're speaking my language. So, but how Avi came in is very interesting, which I think now is a good time to pass over to my friend. Great. Uh, oh, so uh, you call, what did you call yourself? Uh, a political theologian. Political, political yeah? theologian, yeah. Yeah, so I'm a theological politician. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> no, <All right. laughs> uh, I'm not. <laughs> um, and that's why we work well together. Um, no, so I... Um, I grew up in Montreal. I went to, you know, had a very traditional upbringing. I uh, went to university. And when I went to graduate school, which was several years after I had my undergraduate degree, um, at some point it hit me. I'd already become a rabbi by then. Uh, I'd been ordained um, and I was teaching high school. I wasn't, didn't have a pulpit and it wasn't really uh, interested me that much. Um, but having been to graduate school, you know, I went to the University of Chicago, and I'll be honest, I never even finished because it wasn't really something um, that appealed to me to go and say, well, you know, all the big ideas are already taken, right? So let's take an, your job as a, as a graduate student or, a, you know, eventually when you get a doctorate will be to take an ever tiningly, vanishingly thin slice of the pie and own that and research it incredibly well and publish books that will sell for $300 and sell 80 <laughs> copies and you will be respected by your peers, but nobody will understand your ideas outside side of it you know it just didn't appeal to me and i was like well what wouldn't it... <laughs> how could that not that's the dream <laughs> so i was like wouldn't it make more sense to take these already great big ideas which i love to study and read and yeah. and present them to other people and so i really moved into the adult education world and i started realizing that i would rather take the big ideas that are already existing and present them to people. And so I founded this organization called the Jewish Learning Lab, which has uh, recently rebranded to become the Jewish Living Labs, to be a little more expansive in, in our, uh, you know, world domination goals. Um, and uh, the, you know, and the idea was to say, well, there's a lot of great Jewish knowledge out there and mm. um, education is key. I think that if you're not constantly learning as a spiritual individual, as a religious individual, then you are stagnating. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I've done. And recently we started podcasting that much more, not just because of the pandemic, but because people are over-programmed. And we started realizing that I'd rather produce, uh, you know, a tight hour 
um, or a tight, even 40 minutes of yep. something yep. and leave it for people to download whenever they have the opportunity, um, then to, you know, prepare this slavishly prepare this series, this four part series that is, I think, wonderful and important. And then you get 12 people for the first session and six people for the second. And by the third, you're down to like two people and <laughs> well, maybe we'll cram both of these sessions into one and we'll leave you guys be and stuff like that. And yeah. people just don't want to come to classes anymore. I don't know what the example, what, what life is like in terms of Bible study in the evangelical world. I hear that people still come to that at some point, but <laughs> in the Jewish world, I was finding that, you know, outside of a very, very small cadre of individuals that love to learn, people like ideas, people like to, to get this information in them, in them, the wisdom and the knowledge. But so one of the things that we started doing a lot was podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had already had in my mind, like a handful of like podcasts that I wanted. And one of them that I really was going after was this idea of, you know, well, I wish I had a Christian friend that I can, you know, ask like the basics, like what's Advent and what's the difference between a Lutheran and, uh, you know, Episcopalian and, you know, and what actually happens, you know, in, in a service, right. On a Sunday morning and all, all these questions from a historical, from a theological, practical, well, what are all these things? And I, I was like, I'm sure Christians would love to have these same questions, you know, asked, you know, to ask these same questions as well. And so I caught, we reached out to a colleague, um, who was a mutual friend of ours. And he was like, listen, I would love to do this, but the person that you're going to want to talk to is Stephen. So um, we reached out, we, uh, we had a great initial conversation and we, um, we started planning out a few basic episodes and we've just been running with it. We're about five episodes in, it's called Hyphen, the podcast for Judeo-Christians. Um, <laughs> I like that. Um, we're not interested in converting each other. We're not in- mm-hmm. interested in converting uh, listeners. We just want to, you know, explore that space between Judeo and Christian. Um, and so for those of you who want to listen, I'm sure that you can put a link in the show notes, but you can search for it on uh, all your major podcast places by searching hyphen and Jewish living lab, because apparently hyphen is a popular podcast name. <laughs> wow. Well, that will be in the show notes for sure. There you go. Uh, I was kind of, the reason why I was laughing earlier as you were talking is because when you said, um, you know, asking questions like, what is Advent? I'm like, no evangelical knows what Advent is. Like, we have no idea. You know, like, I, I need to know what that is. <laughs> so it is funny to hear you say that and be like, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of evangelicals really have no idea. Um, so anyway, um, so anyway, here's where I want to kind of get into. I'm thinking here's kind of the line. Um, I, I have a few questions for Stephen. And then Stephen, I feel like as, as, as you see the connections between, you know, Christianity and maybe your questions about how, how Judaism fits into some of this stuff, we can kind of do the circle, you know, just kind yeah. of like pinging off each other. Very quickly, just so you guys know, I'm not sure how much you know about me. Um, we have a similar story, Stephen. I grew up in fundamentalist Christianity slash kind of reformed Christianity. I grew up on a steady diet of Rush Limbaugh um, my whole life. You know, that kind of world was always a good Christian, did all the missions work, did all the things right by evangelical standards. My wife and I, you know, we saved ourselves from marriage. I mean, we did everything correctly, you know. And uh, over time, I just started really as I wanted to be a better follower of Jesus. I said, well, I have to really dig into what the Bible is and what this stuff means. And of course, right. that that led me down the the, uh, the 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 deep liberal, you know, rabbit hole of uh, deconstruction and you know all that kind of stuff. So I, I started New Evangelicals about a year ago uh, because I, I a lot of this a lot of, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about today were things that a lot of us were seeing in 2016 with the election, with the election of Trump and just like what is happening to our faith? Why the evangelical push for this? Um, and I started the new, the new evangelicals to say, we got to rethink like what it means to be an evangelical in 2021. Like something is way wrong. We have to rethink what it means to be a Christian, which really means going back to older sources. That's what it comes down to. There's nothing new here, you know, but really trying just, just to rediscover what it means to be a Christian and just a better follower of Jesus. So that's how I got new evangelicals started. So this is a very, this topic in particular, I and the audience is very interested in because I honestly talk about this maybe more than I should, just because it seems like things are truly insane in American culture. I know it it, it does overflow to Canada and other parts, but the epicenter is really here right now. So my first question, because I get this a lot, is what is, how do we define Christian nationalism? Because I get people in my DMs, you're not using the term correctly and this and that. How yeah. how would you define Christian nationalism? I do think it's, so I, I often say to people like, look, Americans didn't 
invent Christian nationalism, but they are perfecting it. <laughs> and it's, it's like one of these things, it'd be kind of a family of words, really. I mean, you can get always stuck into to overly defining something, but it's essentially related to any time you find any group that thinks that their nation is, uh, that the, okay, there's a nationalism, which is our nation is, all our resources are going to be preserved for people who look like us and sound like us as much as possible. That's a nationalism impulse, right? Which is the idea, it's, you can call it tribalism, you can call it forms of patriotism, factionalism, partisanship, whatever. The idea is that uh, we're going to group with people as much like us as possible. The closer they are to our group, the more real they are to us. And the further away, the less they look like us, the less they sound like us as possible, the more they're unreal to us, or they're not worthy of our attention or our resources, or you know, ultimately, we can kill them without any impunity. Mm. Now, when you add the Christian on top of that, you are kind of making it a religious impulse. You're bolting that idea that this nation is for us and only people like us. And you're adding a layer now on top of it, which is, and God wants it this way, or this is our Christian civilization that we are protecting. The people who look like us and sound like us are Christians. So you're starting to like religious layers on top of an impulse, which by the way, happens everywhere. Nationalism happens absolutely everywhere. It's not a Christian phenomenon, mm. but I'm specifically interested in what happens when that really powerful tribalism, nationalist impulse gets bolted onto a Christian theology. Mm. And that's what I'm specifically looking at. And what you get is people saying things like, you know, uh, God has chosen us for such a time as this. We are, we have, ascended to the ranks of civilization we're on the top of the mountain uh, all the other civilizations are below us they've had their chance or whatever and now god has chosen us or god has given this land to us to further his purposes or that kind of thing right mm. um so that's to me that's the sort of christian nationalism and what i want to often point out to people is that it's not it is connected to racism but it's not actually about racism because you can get sidetracked because you talk to a specifically Americans and they'll say like, Oh, well, I'm not a racist or I don't feel any hatred in my heart or America's filled with white and Brown and black and yellow people and red people. And it's, you know, we're one big melting pot. Right. We've chosen us as this is our experiment and this land has been given to us. Right. And the, the thing about nationalism is not that it's connected to race. It's connected to exceptionalism. Hmm. It's connected to the idea that we are, the new chosen group, we're the new chosen people. Uh, we have been selected for such a time as this. Um, and then with exceptionalism, you're getting the idea that laws that apply or morality that applies to some group doesn't apply to us. Like, yeah, we are exceptional to the rule. Mm. We have risen above it. We're a new thing that's never been seen before. Right. Mm. Yeah. 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 And then this is partly where the whole like, Christian evangelicals, especially just so uh, fearful of like critical race theory. And for example, <laughs> right. Because they just hate the idea. And I've seen this explicitly in print, you know, um, this isn't me foisting this onto somebody. This is people say like, we, we are an exceptional nation. Like the rules do not apply to us. Mm -hmm. um, we are not a fundamentally racist, institutionalized racist culture. We can't be because we are an exception. Right. Right. And uh, we're going to solve racism differently than the rest of you lot. Maybe other countries are are institutionally racist, but we're not. Right. Um, so that's one of the things that I often notice. So really, it is a kind of a chosen person ideology, mm. which, of course, the purity. I mean, this is what I often point out. Like, right. there, you cannot find a, a point in American history when it wasn't suffused with Christian nationalism. Mm. From the first, from Columbus and the Spanish and Italian and Portuguese explorers to the Puritans coming from England. Like there is no Christianized group that has shown up in North America that hasn't thought that, well, we're the new people on top of the pile. This land has been given to us. We're going to expand into it um, because this is part of advancing Christian civilization into the, into the known world. Right. Yeah. There is no time in history when that has not happened in America. Mm. So we find a lot of Americans kind of browbeating saying, how did we like people who don't like Trump, you know, Christians who are like, 
how did we get to this? How did we fall from such heights to become right. Make America Great Again nativists? And I just go, you never were not that. Mm. Mm. Nationalism is baked into the Christian American experience. So if you want to be a Christian who's against nationalism in America, you have to be aware that you're not like representing some, some movement that, you know, the rock solid movement that the nationalists have perverted. You are the perversion. If you're an anti-nationalist and a Christian in America, you are the minority who is living inside a, a system that was created and intended to be nationalist from the start. Wow. So I'm not saying it's impossible to be against nationalism. Of course it is. It's just you're not speaking for the, some pristine Christianity. <laughs> you are you are a rebel against the system, right? I'm into rebels. I like rebellions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that's why it's like a it's like a problem that will just come up again and it just comes up again and again and again and it's it's this exceptionalism that has you know, manifest destiny as well. Like this idea that yes. we're going to expand and it's our destiny to, to, to expand out into the world. And um, the myth of finding an, an empty land or the myth of saying, well, they're savages or they're black people or they're brown people and they're less right uh, worthy. Right. And so we're allowed to do what we can to them. And, and you justify you're like, well, I know some bad things happen, but at least we brought Christianity to them and that kind of. Right. Mindset. Right. This is always the exception that nationalists are making for themselves, which they would they wouldn't apply to other people, but they right that they, they're applying they're saying the rules don't apply, your rules don't apply to us because we have risen above that particular time in history. Okay. That's good. That's really helpful. And I am more like Avi in the sense of I am not going to be like, I'm never going to have a PhD in one little sliver of the pie. I, I can't do that because I get distracted. I'm like, wait, what is this rabbit hole and this rabbit trail? So right. I, I am, you know, trying to read, trying to educate myself. So I don't, I'm not the expert here. Okay. But as you're talking, I'm reminded of like, you know, doctrine of discovery, right? I'm, I'm reminded of like, you know, the Puritans coming over thinking that we found a new land that, that God has given to us and we're the new city on the hill. So yeah. all, all of what you're talking about does seem, like you said, completely rooted in American history. Now, I was taught American mythology. <laughs> I was not taught American history, right? I wasn't taught yes, about right. that. I was taught how no. good we were. We, you know, the founders were just God-fearing Jesus lovers, which you know now we know is not really the case. And yeah. so a lot of people in evangelical circles, right, they're going through this thing called deconstruction. The evangelical institution, I think, is really being critiqued heavily thanks to outlets like social media where, 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 where I, I would say gatekeepers can't control people from saying, no, I was abused here and there, you know. So it does seem like, at least in the circles I'm running in and from the data that we have, that the evangelical church is actually shrinking, like for the first time ever. I think church history is, is, is uh, church attendance is under 50% for the first time in America. So certainly evangelical culture seems to be going through a pretty big crisis. And a lot of it seems to have been brought on by yes. this more public than maybe ever Christian nationalist approach, yes. which I think we can both agree the seeds were planted with the Jerry Falwells and, you know, the moral oh, majority yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, but we're just reaping the fruit of what's been sowed for such a long time. Yeah. So, so one of my questions, and then we'll get over to Avi is you mentioned earlier something that, 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 that stood out to me. You mentioned that, um, let's see, I put, I took a note here. Um, you mentioned that a lot of evangelicals think that they are like, uh, anti-culture and like not popular with culture kind of idea, yeah. but really they are the culture. Like in America, evangelicals, they really have humongous power. I mean, we're, we're the only religious yeah. group I can think of that has their own music industry, their own movie industry, their own, you know, church industry. So where do you think it's like, Jim, I'm a, I'm a church historian. I've written a couple of books about church history or global church history. Yeah. And there is no religious group, any religion, <laughs> But especially Christianity, there's no Christian group that is as well-resourced, as well-powerful, as has its fingers on the buttons of power, and is as privileged culturally as the evangelicals in America in all of history. Yeah. Yeah. There's nobody that has multiple industries, multiple media outlets, <laughs> right, right. armies. You know, you've, yeah. uh, any, any president, anybody that wants to become president in America has to claim that they're a Christian. 
They have to learn how to use God language. Some yeah. of them are better than others at using it. Yes. They have to somehow appease, like Trump is terrible at using God language, but he was able to appease an appeal to evangelical fear. Right. Um, but like, there is nobody will ever become president for the foreseeable future if they haven't somehow placated and appeased the Christians in some way. Like, right. we're the most powerful religious group that has ever existed. I agree. Yet. They play the, oh, we're an oppressed group. Oh, the liberals are coming for us. Because How do they this do is this? where Abby comes in. This yes. is where Abby comes in. Because American evangelicals think they're the chosen people. Hmm. Right? And if you really want to talk about oppressed religious groups in history, then I think we need to talk to my friend, Rabbi Avi Feingold. Yes. <laughs> Abby, what do you think about all this chosen person so, language? You see the floor is yours, my friend. So, so it's interesting, you know, when, when Jews use this idea or, or speak of this idea that we are the chosen people, yeah. right? it's often not about this idea that we are world conquering and that we are the exception to the rule, mm. right? It's, it's almost the opposite. It's that we have a responsibility, right? It's not the rules don't apply to us. It's we have a whole set of rules that do apply to us. God wow. chose us to do all these rules. God chose us to be the light unto the nations. God chose us to be, right? It, it, it talks about a kingdom of priests, right? And, and a holy nation, mm -hmm. right? In the right. Bible, that's, that's who we are. We are the priests for the rest of the world, right? Mm. And so the language is completely shifted around. It's not that the, the, the exception, right? That, that we rise above. It's we're small, we're never going to be big, but we are yeah. the ones that God chose to take this whole totality of, you know, the Torah, the, the, the laws, the wisdom, the whole, all of that, and to be that beacon. Um, and and the, the, the flip side of that is that chosenness with Jews, for more than it wasn't, never came with a land, right? In the sense that there was always this idea of the land of Israel, but when you are, you know, a thousand years out of the land of Israel and you're in, you know, the dark ages in Western Europe with little to no hope or thinking of anything that's going to change other than the Messiah coming the next day and bringing us all back to that, you know, to yeah. the Holy Land, right? Mm -hmm. You're basically saying we are a chosen people, we are a people, um, but that land, that, that connectedness, which only really shows up as like part of the thought about nationalism, you know, with the enlightenment and beyond. Yes. Right. Doesn't really resonate. It resonates as this, this is our thing. This is the place where we belong, but we are, we, we become a nation. We become a chosen people um, independent of thinking that it is rooted in a place that it yeah. is ever going to be dominating, that we are ever going to have political power um, that is going to be long and sustaining. We're always going to be an other. So that chosenness and that definition of that chosenness really um, comes out in a very, very different way, right? And so, so that's the chosen people experience of Jews. Um, and, you know, when you went and said, you know, that it's the exceptionalism and that the, um, you know, that the rules don't apply to us and that it's defining ourselves vis-a-vis -vis others, right? We have to define ourselves vis-a-vis -vis the Jews because they were the original chosen people and we're the new chosen people, right? It's... Um, it's the way I've heard it described by some people as there's nothing wrong necessarily. A lot of caveats here. I'm really oversimplifying what I'm about to say. There's not necessarily anything wrong with positive nationalism, mm -hmm. right? To say, you know, I love being Canadian because I love Tim Hortons and I love Roots right. sweatpants and I love, <laughs> you know, oh Canada and hockey. And those are part of my cultural touchstones. And this is all great as opposed to saying, I love being white and being white is only all the things that it is not right? It is not this minority and is not that minority and is mm. not that minority. And that's mm. a very different form of thinking about nationalism. And that's the nationalism that we, that you seem to be talking about, Stephen, right? In, the, in this Christian evangelical nationalism, it's, we are the exception. We are the new chosen people, but only in definition to the old chosen people, right? And we have to really like separate ourselves out. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, and, that's what and, I mean, historically, I mean, Abby and I have talked about this over on the hyphen, but Historically, obviously, it's Jews that have been the other that Christians have, ident have defined themselves against. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, They almost need Jews always to be there to remind them, in a way, that there's like 
another group out there that, that might take over or something. I don't, it's a weird, it's a very weird, it's the younger brother growing up bullied by the older brother. And then all of a sudden realizing the younger brother is stronger and more powerful and starts bullying the older brother. Like that's what well, But what happens with, with American evangelicalism, and we've spoken briefly about this on the yeah. podcast, is that Christians have a very specific idea and they talk about Jews all the time because yes. they have to, because it's part of the scripture. Jews don't talk about Christians only no. in relation of, uh, to Jewish Christian dialogue, right? It, mm, it shows yeah. up, but Christians have to have this notion Always. of Jews, right? And yet the vast majority, right? We're talking like, you know, tenths of a percentile off, right? Of evangelicals have never met a Jew, don't no. know anything about Judaism. Yeah. And only thing that they know about Judaism is 2,000 years old. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Which right? They when, then when Stephen to told me, yeah, when Stephen told me was like, stop being such a Pharisee. Right. Uh, have you heard this ever, Tim? Yeah. Yes. Have you heard this? I'd never heard this expression before. Oh, I man. immediately I've knew what it, it. What meant. Sorry. I know there's nothing wrong. I immediately knew what it meant because of like, again, I'm a rabbi. I right. know and I know history. It, I was like, I, oh, exactly. I get a sense where you're at. Never heard that expression before. Yeah. Wow. And, and if you went to an average Jew and said, you know, the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees and like, not really. Right. They don't think about Judaism in terms of Pharisaic Judaism and Sadducee, you know, Sadducee yeah. Judaism it doesn't doesn't, you know, track at all. Wow. And it's a it's a curious relationship that evangelicals have with with Jews, because a lot of evangelicals, they're not they're sentimentally very pro Jewish. Like they love to talk about Judaism. But what they do is they basically think they are the new Jews. That's what they think. Right. So they adopt they. I mean, the favorite scriptures, when we're talking about nationalism, you know, it's these Christians aren't using the Sermon on the Mount to justify. They're going right. straight back to Deuteronomy and Joshua and all this, right? And they're seeing themselves as when you go into the land, take out anybody who's not part of your people, because I have preserved you and this land is your land. And um, they're, they're not using the Sermon on the Mount. They're using the Ten Commandments, right? Nobody's, no American evangelical is taking the trying to set up the 10 commandments uh the sermon on the mount in front of a courthouse carved in stone right 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 there's nobody kind of agitating to have the sermon on the mount read out loud before every court case it's the 10 commandments that evangelicals want to identify with right yeah because they're thinking of themselves as well we're whenever they read the old testament they're like they read themselves into it right which One means that it's actually anti-Jewish because they're just displacing the actual Jewish people. Well, that's what I was going to say is it, 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 it just, it, it's it's another point made that specifically white evangelicals love to co-opt things and make it their own. <laughs> like they can't just I, I've never been taught just to sit and just observe the story of the Old Testament, right, of the Torah, like just see the story of the Jewish people in God working. It's like, OK, now where do you fit in this? Are, 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 are you going to be a David when Goliath comes? You know, it's always yeah. about me being placed in the story and then taking it and putting my cultural lens on it and assuming that I have it figured out. And anyone who yeah. speaks against that is heretical, you're liberal, whatever else it is, right? It's, it's, it's the next slur down the line. But really reading the, the Bible that way has done, I think that's where so much of this stuff continues to be bred in, you know, is, is this idea of, but like you said, Stephen, we are the new chosen people. We read ourselves into the story. We put our Western cultural lens on these stories that don't sit in that culture at all. And then our interpretation must be correct. Therefore, whoever comes against us is an enemy of God because we represent God, which, yeah. and I, I could be wrong here, um, Abby. So if I am, tell me, but I'm under the impression that in the first commandment, you know, don't take God's name in vain. That has more to do with how you represent God's name to the nations more than you saying the wrong word. Is that, is that kind of correct? Uh, I guess not. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean th that connotation is there potentially as well, but I think mm -hmm. that it is about, you know, you have to remember that um, vows were a very, very important part of one's religious life in mm. early Judaism or an early religion in general. Right? You wanted to show your fealty to a deity, you would make a vow, which you could not break because then, you know, words are important. Um, and so you vow to God not to, you know, eat animal crackers for, for 30 days, right? Right. Um, and, and so, um, you know, if you... God. And so you use God's name. And so you don't want to take God's name in vain, 
Right. right. You want to show. So, so doing that is important to be able to say, use my, my name, but be real about it. And, and I guess one can extrapolate from that in a modern you know, context when we're mm-hmm. not doing these types of things. It's about saying, don't be, don't use God's name or don't say, don't, don't do things in the name of God. Right. When God would not be approving of this. Right. Yeah. Right. That to me is just as much part of that, that contextual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's guys, interesting. Then, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, like, do you think, um, saying the Pledge of Allegiance or uh, in God we trust on the money, do you think that's a, a form of taking God's name in vain? I'm putting that out to both wow. of you. <laughs> I'm not American, so I'm not going to say anything, but uh, I think it depends if you mean it or not. Right? Uh, and if Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I don't pledge to the flag. Um, you know, the way I view myself at this point in my journey is that my allegiance is to following Jesus. Like that's where my allegiance lies. Right. And doing my best to do that. Obviously I don't do it perfectly, but that's more of like uh, a Shane Claiborne approach, you know, who, who, uh, he, he's a pretty well-known, um, the new monastics. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. I remember his, uh, he, he has a line that burned in my brain when I heard it on Krista Tippett, uh, years and years ago. And I, it, it stayed in my notebook and it's always been with me that he said that we knew what we were against. We didn't know what we were for. Yeah. Anymore. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, so Shane, his yeah. book, he wrote a book a while ago called uh, irresistible revolution that changed my life. And he makes the point in the book that like, when we're pledging allegiance to a nation like that, that is not where our allegiance should lie. Not that, like you said, Abby, not that we can't love. I mean, I'm, there's things about America that I'm grateful for. That's different than pledging my allegiance to an empire, essentially. So, so I was going to say that, don't. you know, yeah. So in the meaning of it, in my mind, if, if one really believed that and it's not true so that's where i think it falls apart if one really believed that america was a christian nation right then it would yeah. make perfect sense to write in god we trust on the money and to make the pledge of allegiance to the flag and include god in there because it is a theological nation state right? yes. and theological nation states that makes perfect sense the problem here is where they try to go and say separation of relig- of church and state we really believe in that because we have to because if we don't believe in church and state separation then we have to give up our guns because it's all in the same constitution right and we right. have to be originalists right. right then we have a problem yeah so <laughs> yeah no you're really yeah. right and honestly like the more you think about it the more gymnastics you have to do to reconcile all these like competing thoughts because they they mm-hmm. all really they, they really do contradict you know in so many different ways shapes and forms but somehow especially you know right now i'm just seeing more and more how that how those gymnastics are just widely accepted in evangelical culture, like totally normal for a church to raffle off an AR 15, which they're doing as of right now. I just saw the tweet. They're doing it again. They did it a couple of years ago. You know, that church that claims to follow a risen Jesus who has a sermon on the Mount is now saying, Oh, also let's give you an AR 15. But to them, it's like, there's no disconnect. It truly blows my mind. Like my mind is just, it's, it's, it, there's smoke coming out of my ears when I see that stuff. What are your thoughts, Stephen, on seeing that kind of stuff? Well, because their religion, I mean, I often say this to Abby when we're talking as well. I have to say, Abby, there's a real different, tell your Jewish audience, there's a big difference between Christians and followers of the way of Jesus. There's yeah. a big difference. And that, that Christian, the apparatus of Christian culture is, is so diametrically opposed to the way of Jesus that, that the best language we can use is the one the New Testament uses, which is antichrist. Mm. You know, I mean, like it's, it's so big, it's so yeah. vast. Yeah. And that you notice that the way of Jesus is openly mocked often, but I mean, there was that great time in the, in the, during the national prayer breakfast, when president Trump was invited to the prayer breakfast and there was a speaker ahead of time and he stood up and he said, oh, I think we should love our enemies said the speaker. Yes. Right. Yes. And then President Trump stood up and he said, you know, I don't agree with that. He got a standing ovation. I know. I I watched it. So just notice this. You've got you've got a national evangelical prayer breakfast giving a standing ovation to somebody who says, I don't like Jesus. I don't agree with Jesus. Like this is how different Christianity is from Jesus in in this culture. Right. Yeah. Uh, It's so stark that your brain melts because you're trying to keep all the balls in the air going, well, they call themselves Christian, but they're not, they're not followers of Jesus. They might be Christian, but they're not followers of the way of Jesus. Yeah. Because they actually do believe in their Christian culture way more than they believe in anything that Jesus would have said or did. So that's where their heart is. That's where their treasure is, you know? Um, And and that's, that's why I think nationalism is the most powerful 
It's far more powerful than the gospel, as it were. The nationalism is the most powerful force in human history. It, it, wow. it underwrites every single war. Anybody that's ever been killed, defense, mm. defender or aggressor or collateral damage, any human being that's ever been killed in any war ever in all of history has been killed because of nationalism. Wow. Right? And, and Jesus is basically against all that. And so you can't have him and, and nationalism. You know? Yet we do. But I, I mean, I'm interested in how, I, I want to ask Abby, there's two questions I want to ask him. One is kind of, they're both controversial. And we've never talked about this before. Ooh. <laughs> First of all, Abby, what do you think of those, these kind of Christians that we're thinking of that, that they like to do their Passover, they do Passover or they take a pilgrimage oh. to Israel or they... They basically are kind of messianic. Co-opting. Co well, so there's 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 several yeah. gradations in that, right? So okay. ask your second question. We'll see how where it all goes. You have. I'm excited. Is for it this. related to this or, or? Well, the second one is. I think the elephant in the room is is modern day Israeli nationalism, like in Israel. Yeah. So that's a completely Religion. separate discussion. We can bring that yeah. up in a second, right? So yeah. so the first one right. is there are several gradations of what we refer to as um, uh, messianic Judaism, um, Jews for Jesus. Um, mm you know, this, this idea of where um, Jews are blending their practice with Christian practice or Christian theology and vice versa, where you have Christians that are taking Jewish symbols and adopting yeah. them into their life. Um, so I've seen I mean, a lot of stars of David's flying in churches. Abby. So starting oh with that, one, starting with the latter, I've seen the, the thing that I see or hear about a lot is uh, prayer shawls and or um, uh, shofars, which are the uh, the blowing. Oh, of the, uh, the shofars. Right. Which by which next week is the, is the Jewish New Year, which is when it comes up. And, it, and it's like a specific religious context yeah. to blow the shofar. We spoke about it actually on our episode on uh, repentance. But anyways, it's a call to action. But anyways, so, mm. you know, in that sense. I mean, I personally see it as a little silly, um, tinged with a bit of hypocrisy, because you're going to go and have a Passover Seder, right? Because you think it's a Jewish symbol and do things, certain things from the, you know, from the Hebrew Bible, but you're willing to disregard the other things, the quote unquote, what I call the shellfish and circumcision bits, right? Right. 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 So Leviticus. Yeah, we're not so big on that because we like our lobster. We, we like, you know, we don't need, you know, to, to snip our little boys, you know, the tips of their penises off. Right. That's that's not for us because Paul went and said that that's OK. But when it comes to a Passover Seder, right, because it's kind of yeah. cool and we want to do some sort of like authentic thing, like don't take it both ways. Right. Pick one or the yeah. other. Right. Yeah. And then the other side of that is the the Jews for Jesus, right? That that which is a specific movement, right? And they're branded, and they they will come after you. They're almost like um, I'm afraid of saying something because they'll come after me. No, <laughs> um, the you know they're like the Scientology of it. That they, they have a brand, and if you do something that's against the brand, they're not going to come after you, you know, and try to surveil you and kill you. But they're they're going to try to you know they will protect their brand in a very specific uh, way. The Jews for Jesus I, are really evangelicals, right? That are that, uh, that are Jewish. Right, or they came from a Jewish origin and want to have some Jewish symbols in there and some Jewish ideas and some Jewish, you know, right. practices and things like that. In the middle, you have what what refer, what people now refer to as Messianic Jews, which are Jews for Jesus, in that sense that they are Jewish. They do Jewish practice. They go to services in a synagogue that they call a synagogue on Saturday. They they do they wear the the prayer shawls and they put on the phylacteries during the week. They are observant Jews in everything, but they also to them Jesus is part of that narrative and part of their Lord and Savior, yeah. right? So that is in the middle. And, you know, again, I it's not for me to decide because I made this, you know, it's not such a radical, you know, break for a lot of people. It's not other people. It's the most unbelievable thing imaginable, mm. right? I had this moment and this had to, this was a moment where I had, like it opened up so much for me where I realized that I didn't hold the truth, right? I mm. wasn't the one that had my path of doing Judaism or doing religion the way that I was doing it as the truth, right? To, to, to put up succinctly in a, if there's a title of a book that talks about this and it really encapsulates everything. It's by Brad Hirschfield uh, and it's called, You Don't Have to Be Wrong for Me to Be Right. And that opened up that idea of oh, wow. exceptionalism to go and say, I may be chosen, right? Or my path may be the objective truth for doing Judaism the way that I do it. But other people who do Jewish, that's their thing, right? And I'm not going to go and say that you're doing it wrong. And you should extend that to other religions as well, 
Mm. right? To go and say, I am chosen. That doesn't mean that other people aren't doing things right that are right for them. And that God recognizes that goodness comes in multiple paths. Jesus is not for me. I'm not going to go and say that Jesus is for, is for nobody and say that you have to be a Jew, right? Mm. I'm not even going to go and say that my form of Sabbath is, is good for me. My wife does Sabbath differently than I do. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm not going to go and say that she's wrong. Right. She's right for her. And I'm right for me. And, you know, and, and Tim is right for Tim and Stephen is right for Stephen. And that takes away that exceptionalism to go and say that, you know, we are the people that do this and those right. are the people that do that. And you will even find religious people theolo- the, that, that will speak theologically, for example, of, Christ- of Christianity and to go and say, well, God shows us for this authentic, real, real form of religion, right? But who's to say that God didn't give Christianity to Christians to monotheize a vast majority of the world, mm. right? To go and say that there, this was God's plan to say, well, Judaism wasn't for everybody, but there, we want everybody to be monotheistic, so let's, let's give the world Christianity. And, you know, and then you have a path towards monotheism for so many more people and to be good people in that way. And it's better than being pagan or better than being, you know, whatever else you're going to add on to, 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 to whatever that's going to look like. So, you know, I'm okay with that. And I'm not going to go and tell the Messianic Jew that what they are doing is wrong. I might say that it is not within the um, realm of theologically acceptable Judaism based on 2000 years of rabbinic understanding and tradition oh. to go and say that this is fine, but I'm not right. going to go and tell you that you shouldn't do whatever it is that you do. The only place that I, I will stop people is when they, when they do witness, right? Jews for Jesus is very much part of the evangelical witnessing proselytizing movement and yeah. they'll stand on street corners. And I have a hard time with that. Yeah. Don't go and try to tell other people that what they are doing is wrong and what you are doing is right. Mm. Wow. That's really yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> End rant. Oh, hey, that's why I have you guys here to rant away. So that's what I had to say about, what was it? That's the, that's the Christians taking Jewish symbols and the Jewish secular nationalism. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, right. it's a fascinating topic. It's, it's an entirely different thing that I think is almost divorced. It's not really because there is Jewish religious nationalism as well. But let's be honest, mm-hmm. Jewish nationalism in the form of contemporary Zionism is a product of, you know, Western European nationalism. Well, I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> and and there's nothing, you know, anybody who denies that and goes and says, no, 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 we're, we're doing this for 2,000 years and we've always wanted to return to Zion. We have always wanted to, but the way, the form in which it is right now is purely, yeah. right? It's this idea that, well, a people without a land doesn't make sense and we need yeah. to have a land and we're going to have a land and it's going to be in Israel. And secular Zionism is the basically the, the brand that we have now. Religious Zionism is a big part of it. And Israel actually has its own faults where you see that it is an explicitly Jewish state. Netanyahu right, made a bill, passed a bill to say this is a Jewish state. And it's complicated when you have a Jewish state um, with non-Jewish people in it. And when yeah. you have to establish, right, because when you have a Jewish state, you have to make Jewish laws. And Jewish laws don't allow for that that breathing room that I just described, and you don't have to be wrong for me to be right, Mm. right? Which is to me an essential component of Judaism, right? Is that the individual communities and the rabbis are the ones that are making up a lot of the guidelines because there's so much variation in terms of practice. There is no dogma or there's precious little dogma. Mm. Um, And so what's going on in Israel is you have religious court systems because marriage and divorce only happen within the state through the court. They'll recognize non-Jewish marriages that happen outside of the state, but in the state, you can only do that inside. And now you have rabbis that are doing civil disobedience and saying, I don't want to get married. I don't want to marry off this couple within this system that I believe is corrupt and that is religious. And I'm a, I'm a liberal rabbi. I want to go and do it in this thing. And that's actually a felony. They're not arresting people for it yet, but that's where you're at. And that's the problem with, that's the downside of having a theological state is that it doesn't allow room for very variance as good as that, as healthy as that might be within a religious life or within a religious, like a spiritual, uh, you know, movement um, that doesn't, that doesn't allow for it. And and there's a lot of difficulty that arises. We get a lot of faith groups. Well, Jews and Christians will kind of, be attracted to that kind of ethno state nationalism, the kind of military industrial backed nationalism, because they think it it's going to help their, their faith. It's going to give them what they want. And they hitch their, their, 
their horse, they hitch their cart to that horse. And then, of you, course, that horse ends up being way more powerful than they thought it would be. Yeah, and it ends you, up crushing the religion itself. Often. Yeah, you probably have a much better idea of why um, evangelicals love being Zionists so much. Um, the the standard Jewish understanding always was that um, it was Jews. Uh, it was it was well. As soon as all the Jews end up in Israel, then the apocalypse is going to happen, and all the Jews are going to die, and then you know, and Jesus will come back, and that'll be fine. So we're going to be Zionists and tell the Jews we love Israel, but but it's only like you know conditional until they're gone, right? right. So that was the first the first major like thing that yeah. you started hearing when Christians yeah. were when evangelicals were part of there. It. That's, that's it's very still there, much, very but much. they don't talk about that because they're talking to the Jews, and yeah, then you have the other piece, which is. Why don't we support a country that is religious and nationalistic explicitly yes. that isn't Muslim? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's just and another that's the other it. piece of it. Yeah. It's just I mean, crusades by another name. Continue. Because all of this, all of this, we support the only democracy in the Middle yes, East yes, is yes. is not it doesn't doesn't strike me as real in any right. way. I mean, I'm right. sure that it helps them to know that there is a a strong defense, you know, in that in there. But but America doesn't really have issues with Jordan or Egypt or, you know, Lebanon, for that matter. I oh. mean, they, they were very good until the 80s, you know, but like and I'm not going to get into foreign policy here, but sure, that, sure. that's not really why evangelicals, right, go for the Zionism. No. Piece. Right. Well, they I did mean, some interesting stuff like they were um, they were they were looking at again, we're talking about America. It must be really odd, Tim for your listeners to have, this is part of American exceptionalism that you've got a, a Canadian and a, and a Canadian with an English accent talking about America. <laughs> the Americans are probably just rotating with anger right now. But that's tough luck. That's part like of your exceptionalism. I like to remind Americans that um, we are one nothing. We are totally undefeated on Canadian-American wars. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the reason why the White House is the White House is because we burned it to the ground and they only Canadians had white wash to paint it. <laughs> to be painted. But like, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for commenting on America because Americans just have to get used to the fact that other people have an opinion. Yes. But they right. did a study. So they, they were doing looking at like when British, when, when American presidents, you know, we're talking about the kind of evangelical heartland, right? Yeah. That evangelical heartland doesn't care about foreign policy at all. Famously doesn't care at all about, and a president can talk about anything to do with foreign policy and it, it doesn't register at all on the approval or the disapproval scale except when it came to israel so if an american president made pro-israel statements then all of a sudden his ratings went really high amongst middle american evangelicals right so isn't this curious it's the only foreign policy issue that evangelicals care about except for the evangelicals it's not a foreign policy issue it's also they think they're talking about themselves that's right like it's just it's just as much a part of their core identity they're not thinking foreign policy. They're thinking, oh, yeah, like we are also Israel. What happens to Israel is what's happening to us because we are also that, right? Because they've so identified themselves with this that they don't, they're not thinking in terms of another country over there doing foreign policy stuff. They're thinking, well, that's us. That's our holy land. That's our homeland. Those are our traditions. These, you know, they've kind of co-opted this so much so. But it isn't even a foreign policy issue for a lot of American evangelicals. It's still it's still a domestic issue for them. Yeah, and a lot of the circles that I run in, because the, the term evangelical is so big, so broad, I mean, it encompasses so many different kinds of Christians, even though they're, they're similar themes. I, especially more recently, um, I've heard so much talks about how this is related to, to, to end times. I mean, I really hear yeah. so much talk about eschatology, the end of the world, and how, you know, the Jewish nation state needs to happen for the end of the world. You know, it really comes back, at least again, in my circles to that. And it really comes back to like what you said, Avi, you know, if it's like, but you're really like wishing for our death is like, what is what you're saying? You know, like yeah. you're not, you're, you, you won't say it that bluntly, but that's kind of like, and that's what happens. And what's, what's, yeah. what's remarkable is, is that the Jews that are aware of this and that are part of that world. Yeah. Don't care at all. They're like, I don't care. I still think that I'm right. And so I'm going to take your money and (laughs) I'll take your military support and your finances. Yeah. And there are people like this is an organization. um, I'm not going to say anything negative about them, but they managed to like, really, it's the international fellowship of Christians and Jews. Um, uh, Yeah. And it was this rabbi that started this and he raised millions of dollars 
for Zionist and charities and causes or Israel-based causes simply by realizing that, and he was an Orthodox rabbi, but he was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do Bible studies using the language of Christian Bible language. Yeah. Right. And do it on evangelical media channels and talk yeah. almost exclusively and be the rabbi that is safe for these evangelicals to be part of. Smart. And again, you, and he would raise eight to ten million dollars a year right? because he was like, I'm raising money for the Jewish cause, for the Zionists, you know, for, for what's going on in Israel, whether it's kids, poor kids, hungry right. kids, all of this stuff. And but he would and he would put on his talus, he put on his prayer shawl whenever he was around, because that's what people would imagine a rabbi would be like, like, I don't care. He's he's cosplaying at being this thing that they were like right. imagining him and code switching his language to evangelical wording for what Bible like words you would imagine right. Right, to minister, right? right? Jews would never say to minister to something, right? Right. You would right. never hear a rabbi say, I'm, 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 I'm ministering to my flock. Right. And right. he would use all of this language because that's what people wanted to hear. He's like an actor. Yeah. yeah. Right. Way, it was kind of cool, but Hey, you know, that was his thing. I mean, it, it, it just goes to show again, like how, and I, I, I never speaking in broad terms, evangelicals is very broad, but by and large, if, if I was a betting man, I, I would bet on this. The average evangelical has really no frame or no room in their own psyche for other perspectives that, that, that don't fit into their own mold of how things ought to be. You know, like, like, like you said with, with, with the rabbi who would intentionally wear the clothes that he knew evangelicals thought he was wearing or use, you know, and use certain language to kind of let them know I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of white. I have white evangelical background too, kind of thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, it just seems like whenever there is any, um, perceived threat. And I, I, I think the, the CRT debate is a great example of this, you know, CRT critical race theory has existed since, you know, the early eighties never been a thought. And all of a sudden overnight, every evangelical is scared to death over it. And, you know, um, Vody Bachman, one of the biggest fundamentalist Christians is writing a book called fault lines, you know, about how CRT is coming for your kids essentially. Um, and, and now evangelicals think, Oh, we're experts in CRT. Like I read someone else's book about CRT. And now I know what CRT is. So they don't really have like a framework for expanding that things exist outside of their worldview that could be safe and good. And dare I say, holy, because only their walls and what's inside of it is deemed holy by their, by like their own institutions, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're canny, like, like Abby's friend there, you can make a lot of money <laughs> playing to the home team, but Oh, it blows my mind. So, so a couple more questions. It's almost an hour already. By the way, if you want to, I'm saying this on the air. Love to have both of you back on. I have other, um, Avi, I have other questions for you that I would love to get into at a different discussion. Like, how do you view Anytime. Paul, for example? You know, like just things like that. So, uh, we maybe we can nerd out a little more theologically in the future because I, I just would love to hear your perspective on these things. Um, one of my last questions as we kind of get wrapped up here is, you know, what do we do going forward? Like, okay, so let's, let's bring this back to my personal context, right? I have, we, we have this new evangelicals account. We're working on elevating stories. That's like our big thing. We're a community, you know, my day on Instagram is I throw out a topic and then I screenshot people, people's responses. And that's in the stories. Like, like that's how the day goes. Um, it's, it's, it's this community of people just who are lost. Like we really are. We come from evangelical backgrounds. I was homeschooled. Like we were deep in this world taught that we have the only, you know, that Jesus is the only way, truth and life and what, and all that means. And then all of a sudden we're like, wait, <laughs> the world is much bigger than we thought. You know, like things are not, are not, are, are not nearly as, as black and white as I thought. Christian nationalism is a thing. There are worship leaders like Sean Foyt. I'm not sure if you know who he is, Stephen, you know, oh, who, yeah. Yeah, you know who, who has made a lot of money off of protesting yeah. COVID lockdowns in the name of God. It's like, it's just, it's craziness. Yeah. And so a lot of us are asking the question, including me, where do we go from here? Like how, what do we do? We, we feel completely like wanderers at this point, having no real home. Our churches have kicked us out. And, you know, I was asked to step down from, 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 from uh, my position as a volunteer worship leader uh, over my social media uh, presence, you know, cause I was, I was asking the wrong things. I was too liberal. So what, what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, like, like how do people who are in the evangelical space, who are now like, okay, I want to be committed to Jesus. I, I do want to follow in, in this footsteps, but it's not, it's not this anymore. What do we do going forward? 
help me. You want you want Abby? Go on, Abby. Minister to the evangelicals. Yes, minister to me. Say, my sense I was about to say is that Stephen, you probably have a, a a systemic global, you know, corporate, you know, answer to that, and I don't. But I have a personal thing that I can probably speak to people individually based on my. Is, right. So right. we'll start with the small and I'm Stephen, I'm guessing we're going to go to the big, but uh, my, my sense is that the first thing that I would tell an individual like that mm. um, to let go of is the missionizing. Right. And I know, I know that witnessing is an essential deep part mm. of, of this, of what you believe to be the most important thing that you are doing, right? Mm. It's not enough that I do it. I have to witness it. And I know that it's in, you know, it's rooted in, you know, scripture. I, I, I have to bracket that. And I have to say that nowadays, right? What happens when people missionize, what happens when people witness is generally they're doing it um, out of this narcissistic fear that they are not good enough, that their faith isn't good enough. And the only way that they're going to show that their faith is good enough is they can convince other people that wow. what they are doing is right. That's deep. Um, and if they can walk away from that and say, I am very comfortable in my Jesus belief, I'm very comfortable in my Christian faith, right? That I don't have to go and try to convince other people that I am right by convincing them that that person, that this is the right way to do it, mm. right? It's huge. It's huge because you take that step back and you're exhaling and you're like, oh, I don't have to, you know, prove anything. I don't have to convince anybody. I'm confident. I'm comfortable. I have a relationship with my faith, right? And I do it and that's that. And then you're yeah. able to move on. And then the second step, obviously, is to then go and recognize that what your faith is, is what I said before, is absolutely true for you. Mm. And that other people have different things, right? To me, the ultimate act of, of, you know, amazingness would be if when you start seeing evangelicals recognizing other either mainline denominations or even Orthodox denominations or Catholic denominations to go and say, yes, we are, we may have very, very different approaches. Mm. I may very much dislike what you are doing, mm. right? In terms of your liturgy and your rituals. And that's not what I, I like. And, and Martin Luther, you know, fought for, for me to not have to do those things. And I believe in that. That, right, <laughs> but we are united in this faith, and different people have different paths to faith. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> All right, Stephen, what do you got? What do I get to your people who are feeling unrooted? Yes, unrooted. Um, I, I do think an important. I, I said it before, but just actually start to learn the difference between being a Christian and following the way of Jesus, and figure mm -hmm. out whether you like the way of Jesus or not. Because if you don't like it, that's fine. Um, but don't stop. Don't keep calling yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't actually like the stuff that he asked you to do and the way that he lived his life. Like if you don't like it, if you don't like what he said about money or foreigners or violence, specifically violence, mm. then then just be honest and say, okay, I don't like that way very much, right? Yeah. yeah. And um and and to me that's a big thing, and you don't need a you don't need a degree in theology. It's not rocket science. You just basically read the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Um, just kind of pay attention to the Gospels a bit. It's really not that big a deal. Uh, and stop trying to hold in your hand, in the air, everything that any Christian has ever said or did and try and con uh, you know, make them all align because they don't align. Mm. They just don't. And that being a Christian is not the same as being a follower of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and there are lots of people like us who, you, who are noticing that and, and, and feeling it. You're not alone. You might not fit very well in the apparatus of Christendom and Christianity, Yeah. but yeah. you're not alone. And you're actually kind of more at the center of things rather than on the fringes. Mm. And there's a lot of good people. I mean, I could definitely, I mean, I kind of, I didn't mean, I'm not meaning to just plug myself, but, uh, you know, the 10 Theology, the podcast I do, it's just, yeah. it's filled with resources specifically for this question that you just asked and oh, you'll, and there's like people like Shane Claiborne. I interviewed him and Brian Zand and yeah, Brad yeah. Yeah. and Christian, Christian Kobes Dumay. There's all sorts oh, of yeah. good people out there. Chris who, is great. You know, who, who know the difference and yeah. they're doing something about it. And um, yeah. So I guess that's kind of part of it. Just unclench yourself from being a Christian and thinking you have to, because so much like Avi was pointing out so much of evangelicalism is about trying to, could get people onto your side or defend yeah. your team against another team. Yeah. Just unclench yourself of that. You yeah. don't have to defend anything. You don't have to 
protect to further the boundaries of your culture over and against somebody else's culture. You don't have to do that. You're not a culture warrior. <laughs> That's not your job. Yeah, no, that is true. Wow. Well, both great answers. Um, like I said, honestly, we could be here a lot longer. I have many more questions. So I think we'll have to do a round two at some point because uh, this was truly a treat. It was really great having in real time, like two different perspectives on the same thing and even how they overlap. You know, I think it just shows how, how, like you said, Abby, I'll, you know, this stuff, we can get along, we can be reconciled, you know, even if we have different perspectives or different views on things. Uh, and I love that. I think that's what makes the world a beautiful place. And when you place. can't reconcile it, you have to recognize that that's okay. Mm. Right. And that we don't have to reconcile everything. Yeah. Right. But the differences, yes. we can just, you know, we can celebrate those differences. There's yes. a term that we use in, um, in rabbinic literature that is, um, so right away, I'll, I'll use the Hebrew actually because it's it's nice as machloket l'shem shamayim, right? Which is an argument for the sake of heaven, right? Mm -hmm. And you may disagree on a fundamental point of theology or law or something like that, but you are united in that you're both trying to find, you know, the right answer and you're doing it for the highest goal, right? And that that's what we are trying to do. We may have different understandings of what heaven is, yeah. right? And Christians might have different understandings of what heaven is, but if you're arguing and you're trying to reconcile those things and when they're reconcilable, they're great. And when they're not, they're not, yeah. you know, and then that's, that's okay because you're doing it for the right reasons and not because, you know, whoever loses is automatically branded a heathen. Right. Right. I love that. Yeah. I tell a lot of times I tell my community that, you know, the, 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 Unity is in that is in the diversity. Like you need mm -hmm. these different perspectives and you have to wrestle with them. You have to live in this tension. That's just life. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Like, you know, if you can get to that point, I'm still working on it. But if you can get to that point where even if you can't reconcile, you can still at least celebrate and respect the different approaches. I think that that, you know, you're it really humbles you, right? Like, oh man, like just when I thought I knew something, I really don't. <laughs> so it, it's, it, it's great to have that. Well, listen, guys, it was great having both of you. I'm going to put uh, the podcast and all your resources in, in, in the show notes. Um, one more time, plug it away. So you have the, you have the, the 10 theology podcast, Stephen, right? Is that correct? Yeah. 10 theology. Uh, okay. That's it. It's easy to find. And then you have but a combined Abby's, one. Abby's podcasts are much more fun than mine. Go on, Abby. Oh, I don't know yeah, about that. I've listened to your podcast. It's fun. Um, <laughs> and this one, uh, the one that we do together is called Hyphen. Um, okay. And it's uh, where Judaism and Christianity meet. Perfect. That'll be in the show notes. Again, guys, thanks for making time. I appreciate it. I, I will talk to you behind the scenes, get you back on. I, I do have more questions I want to get into. So uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Tim.